Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Al Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guest today is Jonathan Gehring, who is a musician, producer, and songwriter, who's actually the keyboard player and full-time producer for The Devil Wears Prada. He's worked with bands such as A Day to Remember, 10K Rock, Papa Roach, and a bunch more. This is a great conversation about songwriting. Here goes. Jonathan Gehring, welcome to the URM podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Really stoked to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. I just, uh, just want to hear about something. You went to audio school. I did. How was that for you? I feel like I got a lot out of it, you know, personally. I would say, you know, I, I know it's a very controversial thing, kind of. Like, a lot of people think it's like a waste. And I would say it's definitely not for everyone, you know, you can definitely get anywhere in the music industry without it. But, you know, it's also, there's a lot of good things to be learned. And I think, like, I mean, a lot of my theory background and stuff like that comes from, you know, going to music school. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I rely on that a lot in just kind of, you know, everyday work. You know, it's, I think, like, you know, in, in any profession, it's all about, you know, building up a you know, kind of a catalog of knowledge that you have and wherever you get it is wherever you get it. And, you know, I had a good experience, yep. you know, some people have terrible experiences and I think it's all, you know, it's mindset, it's whether it's worth it for you, you know, it, it's all just kind of, you know, up in the air. But it worked for you. I, th I think what really matters is that you get educated. That's like, for sure. Really, the moral of the story is just to figure out some way to know what you're doing. That's what matters. You know, I had a couple teachers and I've heard from other people that went to music school that like, there are some wrong ways to do it. And I think like when you tell people there's only one way to do things, that's the wrong way. But most of my teachers, it was just very much about exploring and, you know, figuring out your own way to do things. And especially in like music, recording, songwriting, like that's it. Like there are no rules. There are only things you can learn that could be guidelines that could help you along the way. I think that like the part of audio school where people 
have felt like it's a waste has been, you know, when when they spend a lot of time focused on things that have nothing to do with it, um, or yeah. they, or they like, like I, I'm not going to say where, but <laughs> I toured, I toured some big audio school once. Um, they, uh, they like invited me to speak, and they gave me like a, a tour, mm-hmm. and it was towards the end of a semester, and. So they were getting ready for finals and I, you know, they would take me into classes. And I remember we walked into one class that was in session and they were talking about the difference between mono and stereo. And um, so that would be one thing if it was week one. Yeah. But this was like one week (laughs) before finals. Um, So it makes me wonder, like, what did they do? Like, I know how much people pay. Like yeah, they pay yeah. upwards of 80 grand. Like, so what did they do for four months? Like that they're <laughs> covering mono versus stereo a week before finals. Yeah, that you didn't come in with that knowledge, you know? <laughs> or like knock it out in the first week. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I think some people have had some experiences like that where they feel like their money was wasted. But I know lots of people too who had great experiences and who are doing great in their music careers. and But really, I think what it comes down to is just getting serious about getting better and for sure um, finding how you personally can do that the best for you. I think it, it's all a mindset thing. You know, like there are people that do really well in school and people that don't do really well in school. And neither is good or bad. But like if you were someone that like, you know, let's say you were in high school and like you just hated school, you hated doing homework, you hated all of that. Definitely don't go to audio school because it's the no. same format. Yes. But, you know, just for learning different things. And like as with any kind of school, if you go in trying to do the bare minimum or just trying to pass, you're going to get nothing out of classes. You know, it's all about like, you have to go up and beyond. You have to be willing to explore on your own, like not just trying to get a grade because a grade literally means nothing, you know? I mean, obviously working in the real world, no one's grading you, (laughs) you know? No, they're judging, but not grading. Yeah, they're judging, but they're not grading. You know, there is no just passing. You either do the job or you don't. So for me personally, I hated school. Yeah. I was a terrible student hated it. That's why I don't think it worked for me, but not because I don't like learning. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. I go down rabbit holes all the time. Just, I just uh, didn't do well with homework and things like that. And yeah, yeah. Working at a classroom pace, but that's works great for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who uh, do terrible, will do terribly with uh, self-directed learning. Yeah. That, you know, for a lot of people that could be a disaster. But I think you're absolutely right that it is a mindset thing. You know, the mindset that you're going to get as good as possible and make everything as high level as it can be. Because, you know, it's not just that people don't grade you in the real world. They also don't give you too many chances. Yeah. I mean, like, they, they won't even give you notes, chances. Like, I mean, there's been, like, lots of projects, you know, earlier on where I would work for people and, like... I just never would hear back. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's like, maybe it wasn't good enough. Maybe it just wasn't the vibe. But, you know, that's just kind of how it is. And you kind of have to just, you know, get back up and, you know, go on to the next project. But, you know, that 
Like that just happens. And you just, it's that self-determined kind of like motivation that kind of keeps you going through those things. Yeah. And I think sometimes people aren't even trying to be dicks. No. When it comes to that type of ghosting, it's just, because I've noticed I've done it a couple of times and I felt bad about it because I try to tell people if something's not a good fit or not good enough, because I think that they need to know. They need to know why it didn't work out. But Sometimes I have ghosted, not because I was trying to ghost, but because I heard what they gave me or saw what they gave me. And then my brain just immediately just shut it off. Yep. Like it was like, this is not even an option. The pressure on the, in this situation is so high. I need to find the solution for this now. This is not the solution. For sure. And then I literally just forget that it even happened. Yep. Yeah. I've done that way too many times because, you know, like when you're working on a project, like you're full project focused. And if things don't mm -hmm. end to the project being better, you're kind of just like, I don't have time for that right now. Move on, <laughs> you know? And it's not even like, yeah. uh, you know, screw this person or anything like that. It's just like, oh, that kind of didn't help me at all. I got to go find what is going to help me. And, you know, writing that response that's like, well, this just didn't fit the project. Just, you know, it's not worth your time at the moment. No, because you have to stay focused. Yeah. You have to stay really, really focused. So it, it, that's happened to me too, where I just never heard back about something or, you know, sent sent a mix and then poof, vanished. Yep. That is your feedback right there. That's your feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like whether it was, you know, 99% there or 1% there, it really doesn't matter because someone else was 100%. Mm -hmm. That's going to win every time. Or 99.1%. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. Yeah, it I've noticed this in the nail the mix in the URM community with our nail the mix competition that lots of times people will they will submit for the competition and not make it into the polls, not win and they will get very very angry about it because they feel like their mix is better than other people's mixes, but I actually think that even though the nail the mix competition is not real life. That it's a it's like a good um, example of what real life might be like. However, real life is far more brutal. But like somebody, yeah, one of us is picking who goes into the polls, and we don't have a checklist of things we're looking for. As it, like when we're listening to these submissions, like no, we don't discuss amongst ourselves like what the criteria is. It's literally do we like it or not. Like that's it. Like. Like it, yeah. don't like it, the end. And it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks about their own mix. All that matters is do we like it or not. And when you're well, test yeah. mixing, doing work for clients, that's all that matters too is it doesn't, your opinion on your own work is like fine and all, but really it doesn't matter. All that matters is do they like it? Do they not like it? How do they feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's actually like a, a huge point in like any sort of, mixing or song thing it's like it really like obviously you should like your mix and you should be proud of it but the mix yeah. isn't for you you know like you're not the only person that's going to listen to the song in fact you're a very small fraction of what is and like you're mixing in order to make either your own song or someone else's song appeal to a very you know wide audience and like that that should be your goal and you know if you love it you know and someone else doesn't like it, you know, maybe ask yourself like why that is, you know, even like if your mix is, which I like, I, I hate when people are like technically better, you know, 
Like, if you're thinking, like, my snare hits more. Exactly. Like, you know, you could have something where someone just threw a, you know, 127 velocity snare sample, but it just, like, hits. It could be, like, the worst snare sample in the world, but it just hits. And for some reason in that specific Mm -hmm. song, it just works. And, like, that can make so many people so mad, you know? But if it works for the song, it just works, you know? It makes people mad, but... It's interesting how much a voice can get amplified out of proportion from reality. So, like, you hear these voices on the internet that are very, very loud and uh, uproarious. (laughs) Good word. Yeah, I just saw it. I believe, uh, (laughs) what's his name? The dude that just took over DC, James Gunn, I believe, just, uh, he was getting a lot of shit. I saw this today, and uh, he called, he was getting a lot of shit for some decisions they've made lately, and... He called the comments uproarious or something. <laughs> I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use that later nice. today. Somehow, I'm going to find a way to use that. But uh, I don't agree when people say it's just a bunch of like incels in their mom's basement. Like, that's not true. Like, yeah. online commenters are everybody. They're your peers. They are incels in their mom's basement. But they're, it's literally everybody. Everybody's online. So you don't know who they are. And to just say that, it's a bunch of losers or whatever. Just accept the fact that not everybody's going to like it, but also accept the fact that if a song is successful, most people who like something aren't going to say anything. For sure. I, I know I rarely comment something positive. So by human nature, you're not going to see a lot of the good feedback towards something. Yeah. So if maybe one one hundredth of the listeners hate something, I mean, you're not seeing the other 99% of them because most of them won't comment. You might see some of them, but uh, me personally, when I like something, I'm not going to go comment on the band's YouTube page or something. Yeah. It's definitely, it's a comment for a reason. Like when you hear like someone's going to comment on something, you're like, "Mm, that's probably not going to be great. (laughs) You know? Yeah, exactly. So just out of curiosity, you were saying, so the song's not for you. When you first started writing for you know, either Prada or anyone. Yeah. Like in a in a professional context. Like I mean it's all professional, but like Yeah. As a non member writing, how do you like bridge that gap between like being distant enough from the outcome to where you're cool with whatever, but caring enough to put the passion into it to so that it's both your own but not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like it is very tough because like like I always say that like When you're writing a song, you have to love it like it's your child, but be ready to just throw it in the trash can. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's your child. It's this weird kind of, yeah, (laughs) exactly. But like, no, don't do that. (laughs) But uh, it's like this weird, like, push and pull in your brain to like, you have to 100% believe in it, but be ready to just be like, yep, let's just move on to the next idea. Like, this thing that I loved completely 100%. Let's just move on. And, like, that's something that, you know, it's really hard to, like, nail down. Because, you know, like, as, you know, songwriters, producers, like, there is that, like, level of art in everything that we do. And, like, we love to, like, believe 100% in, like, everything we're doing and, you know, like, just craft these very intricate things that take us so much time. And then we want to hang on to it. Like, it's that human instinct of, like, attachment where we're like, well, I built this. This is mine. 
But, you know, as we were talking earlier, like, it really doesn't matter what's yours or what you think about what you did. If it's not working, whether you're just in a room with one other person or showing it to millions of people on the internet, they may not like it. No matter how much you love it, they may not like it. It's not for you. It's for them. So, like, you got to kind of, I don't know. It's been something I've had to work on over the years. And, like, I'm definitely not perfect at it. But, you know, you got to have that voice in your head that's like, just move on. Keep going, you know? And I I think that having a prolific level of output helps with the process of moving on because you'll have the next thing you're working on very quickly. If you're too attached to stuff, I feel like you'll get stuck. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where so many, like, beginning producers and songwriters, like, end up getting stuck is they'll have, like, this one idea. They'll think it's their best idea ever, and they'll tweak it for three years, and it'll just sit on a hard drive for three years because no one wanted it. But they think it's the best thing ever, and they'll keep changing it and changing it and changing it and make little tweaks and stuff. But, like, what you really should have done is just written a hundred other ideas and just left that one because you're probably not making that one idea better. You're just kind of beating a dead horse. And like, yeah, it's it's very tough, but yeah. It's bad. I remember specifically, and I've seen this a few times, but there's just one example that like really illustrates it for me. So my band got signed in 2006. Okay, so 2006 and we formed in 99. It took that long. And in that time, there were other local bands who had been around way longer, way longer. And I remember exactly by the time that, like right when we got signed, there was another band that had been around 10 years at that point uh, or 13 years. And they had eight songs, period, eight songs. And... The same eight songs that they had since like 1997 or 96, they still had in 2006. And then I just got curious about what was going on with them, like during the pandemic, just a pandemic thought. Like, are they still around? Yeah, are yeah. they alive? Like, dude, still playing shows on those same eight songs. They're really nice people. Still playing shows with those same eight songs, still pushing them, still serious, well, quote unquote serious about wanting to do the music thing for real. And I have seen that a bunch of times when I was uh, producing local bands. I saw it quite a bit, like a band that literally keeps the same songs only for a decade or more. It's absolutely ape shit. I feel like those are extreme examples, but that is like any form of that is bad, I think. It is. And like, I mean, there's lots of things you can do I mean, there's one thing that, like, kind of changed my perspective on writing stuff. And, like, it's not my thing, so I don't want to take credit for this. I can't remember where I heard it, but it's, like, writing for the garbage, pretty much. Like, and if you want to just get, like, new ideas out. Did you hear that on the Riff Hard podcast by any chance? It's possible. I don't know where I heard it. Well, me and Kevin Thrasher talked about that in detail, like on his episode, like that, I use that term a lot. I heard it from him. Maybe you heard it from him. Yeah, it's it's possible. But like that, like I was just like, yes, that makes so much sense to me because like mm-hmm. then you can just practice this complete, you know, unattachment from something and just let kind of your subconscious take over. You know, I feel like it's like, like, like uh, when you write a joke song, everything is so easy. Ideas come so quickly. 
because you're not taking it seriously. Like the weight is just kind of lifted a little bit off your shoulders. And when you write, you know, to throw something away, it's kind of the same thing. And a lot of times you'll end up with something really cool. Like on our new record, that song Broken, I literally wrote in one of those kind of things. Because I was like, this song's too simple, like, you know, blah, 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 but whatever, let's just go. Like, probably won't ever do anything. And like, it's doing pretty damn well now. So, you know. Yeah, totally. It, I, I think also with the writing for the trash, like, it inspires more writing and more writing. Yeah. Like, it, like it, um, it's like write for the trash and write for the trash a lot. Yeah. Dude, that's really worked for me too. Yeah. If you do that, and like, just don't get attached, but just keep making more and keep making more. Something good is going to happen eventually. Yeah, it will. And like, you probably won't know it in the moment, but like, you know, maybe you listen back to something that you did the other day and you'll be like, oh, that's sick. Plus, like when you're writing music, like having a catalog of ideas, like especially when you're working with other artists, like that's so, so huge because like you can just scroll through, you know, one of the, you know, hundreds of ideas you have sitting there and you'd be like, oh, maybe this will work. You know, read the room. Okay, no, not that one. Next one. Oh, that's kind of cool. All right, let's push through that one. You know, it's just like those instant little creative starters. Like having a starting point is so huge when you're writing with people. Do you have a, a way of uh, organizing those ideas so that you can just scroll through them quickly? I should, but it's mostly memory. And then I just kind of, put them down by like mm -hmm. slight subgenres. You know, I'll have folders of like, these are metal ones. These are like more radio rock ones. Like these are a little more technical ones, you know? Like these are pop ones. But nothing too crazy. Yeah. You'll be in like rock session to be like, let's pull up this pop one and then reformat it into something that's more rock and that'll work. You know, maybe just like the chords and like a little lead line were something that was inspiring to an artist. And, you know, no real rules. You know, I was talking to some Riffard members the other day who they were talking about getting some sort of a complex system together for organizing your writing ideas so that you can always like have them on hand and be able to mix and match really effectively. But problem is that... The people I was uh, I was interacting with only write like six ideas or seven or eight ideas per year. Yeah. So what do you need <laughs> a system like that for? Because of the people I know who write professionally and composers generally just have a very simple like folder system of like yeah. This is what this is where my ideas go that I'm not using. Maybe subgenres like you do like yeah. Maybe not like really. I have not seen too many super complex systems. So I thought it was interesting that like, it almost seemed like procrastination. Like yeah. I can't write until I build this system. This system's so complicated yeah, yeah. that I just got to focus on that. That's one of the tasks that I would throw into the like, I have to be done for the day working because I'm really frustrated. So I'm going to organize something or like I'm going to clean up my studio or I'll organize my samples today. You know, those are like the, yeah. I did something productive, but it's because I can't do anything else right now. You know, like when you have like a, a, a rough session or like you're really stuck on a song idea, then go do that. But I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't start with that because like the organization is going to save you maybe like a minute 
in a session, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. if you only have six or seven ideas, it's not going to save you any time because you should know which ones they are. It's going to waste your time. Yeah. Like, I have a couple genre folders, and then with each project that I do, like, within, like, the project folder, I'll have just a folder I will label Graveyard. And, like, any session where I'm like, I'm pretty sure this ain't going to work, but I'm just going to pop it in here for later use. And it'll just sit in there, and sometimes it pops out of the graveyard, sometimes it doesn't, you know? Yeah. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuggah, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. How often do you write? I try to every day, but probably, I would say like three days a week, I'm writing something. When you say you try to every day, obviously that can't mean a song a day. Not a song a day. Ideas, just get something out, you know? Like, like unless I like have stuff that like, you know, really needs to get done, like I'm working on a project or something, like I'd like to make that the first thing I do when I get in, you know, or when I walk down to my studio in my basement, like just get a couple ideas out, you know, and they'll just go sit in a folder or maybe just one idea or work on an idea that I started the other day if that's feeling inspiring. But, you know, I try to get some creativity out every day. Whether it works or not, Mm -hmm. you know, that's up in the air. But, you know... It's, I think like practicing that, even if it's, you know, for nothing or for the, you know, trash can, like that's important because you'll learn something every time you try to write something and you'll learn more about what you like, what you can do. It's, it's just, you know, it's like exercising any other thing. Do you feel like if you don't do that, like if uh, you let too long go between writing that you kind of have to restart the motor? Honestly, not. Really? I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm actually like, I'm kind of 
trying to take a little bit of a break right now, which has been kind of tough for me. But like through the rest of the year, I'm trying to kind of just chill a little bit. I, I think it can work both ways, you know, like you can really get into like a like a creative stride and then just keep going. And you can think that stopping would, you know, you would need to restart your engine. But sometimes when you come back, you come back in a different way. There's new things that are inspiring you, like a new kind of method you want to try. There's something I always say, and it's like, if you want to write something, just write it. Don't think about it. Like, don't wait or do wait. Like, just sit down and write it. So many people will, like, talk about how they can't write for so long. And it's like, well, just write something, even if it's terrible. Just write it. And that'll let you know that you can write. <laughs> That's the key. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually a time period where if I do take a break, I'll actually come back better. But if I go too long, that's when creatively I need to get restarted. But I can still make stuff like on pretty much on command. Just yeah. it's not always it's not always going to be good. And I think that the key to getting to the good stuff, basically, I feel like there's two ways to go about it. It's either like you're going to get try to get lucky and uh, do it when you're only when you're inspired and hope that your few inspired ideas are awesome or do it a lot and know that you have more at bats and so more chances for getting inspired more chances for good stuff yeah i think that that's the safer route this is probably a hot take but i feel like i hear so many people say i'm just not inspired right now and i'm like what does that mean like go sit down like play one note and then you might be inspired but like being uninspired is not a reason to not just write something. No, I, I agree. I, I feel like what inspired means, at least for me, is there's uh, sometimes where an idea will happen. First of all, I have to sit down and write and then the inspiration will hit. But like an idea where it's like I know exactly what has to happen now and the ideas are coming faster than I can possibly even put them down and yeah. like I can see the end of the road before I'm there. To me, that's that's inspired. It's like a lightning strike kind of thing. Yeah. But you can't predict that shit. So you just got to sit down and work. No, I don't know. You have to create the environment in which that could happen. And usually that environment is working on a song. Yes, exactly. It's kind of like the classic like songwriting thing of being stuck on like the first like part or something, you know, where like, you mm -hmm. know, maybe you're working with someone or you're working on yourself and you're just trying to get this one riff and you just think it sucks. So you just keep working on this one riff when you should have just said that one's done. Let's work on what comes after. Because if you move from the first part to the second part, then you got a song, you know, and that's like, mm -hmm. it's difficult, but like, there's so many times where I just delete the first riff because I did spend too much time on it and it just wasn't that great. But what it went into was really cool. So, you know, that there is no permanence there. It's that detachment that helps you kind of realize like, well, it doesn't have to stay, but let's see what could happen next. And then if you're on that second part, maybe the rest of the song just writes itself because you're just, you get that inspiration. You're in that groove. Exactly. I think that's a huge local mistake is basically keeping those first ideas in a song just because you wrote them. So yeah. I've noticed that sometimes it takes until the third idea before something good happens and then, yeah, me too. I will, like, delete what came first a lot of the time. Tell me if, the, if it's the same for you, but, like, there's a riff or an idea that happens where you're like, okay, this is the first real idea. This is the actual real first idea for this song. Yeah. Not necessarily chronologically, but this is, like, we have a direction now. 
it's not necessarily what happens first. So, or what you do first. Is it basically like that? Like it all just like comes clear or something? Yeah. And I think the more kind of things you have in a song, like for instance, like let's say you started off like writing a chorus or something like that, which I do a lot of the time. Like a chorus by itself can feel really hollow and lame. And like, honestly, a lot of times like too simple and you think to yourself, well, this is too simple to even be a song. Even if you just write a really simple verse and put it on, you know, either side of that chorus, you can be like, oh, this does work. Or something as simple as like a little transition into something kind of can give you that framework of reference to that. Like, you know, that part is never going to be heard by itself. So like, Put it in context, you know, even if the context isn't, you know, is like a B minus, like <laughs> it's still context and it can help you realize that like, oh, I should keep working on this, you know, and that I, I, that's something that's always helped me is just not letting something just be one idea or not getting hung up on one idea. Like, you know, use your copy paste, flush it out, you know, make it into something bigger than the one part you know, put up fake vocal on it. Kind of see if that, you know, makes you feel better about the part. Like, I do that all the time. Like, I'll just sing gibberish over stuff, and I'll be like, oh, that would work, you know? Because it's never going to be heard without a vocal, so why not just slap one in there? Mm -hmm. So when you're writing for people you're working with, do you have a way that you go about presenting ideas or... Do you like to work with people in the room? Like, is there no way it always goes down? I mean, not really. It's all just kind of like, what's the vibe? You know, like, what are people feeling? Like, is everyone going to be stoked if we start from scratch? From those folders, I'll just pull up some sessions. What do we want to listen to? Like, sometimes, like, I like to start when I write. Let's listen to some stuff. You know, whether it's, like, other music, whether it's, like some stuff I've worked on, you know, some ideas I have. You know, I'll ask people, like, what's inspiring you? Like, what's sick? You know, let's listen to some stuff. Let's kind of get the energy going. And then whether we start from scratch or start working off an idea, you know, just kind of see, you got to read the room. I think that's, like, one of the most not talked about things in, like, writing, working on anything. Like, you got to read the room. You have to be able to read people's body language. You have to be able to like understand like are people actually liking something? Are they just saying they like it? <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. It's all about kind of reading energy and stuff like that. And that's like, that's something that's, you know, I talk about music school. You can't really teach that, you know? You can tell people like, no. well, you have to see so like what people are liking or what people's vibe is. Like, is it good tension or is it bad tension, <laughs> you know? And sometimes bad tension can be good. You know, it's all, it's all kind of, you know, just, you got to figure it out. When did you start to figure out this reading the room stuff? Is that something that you always kind of knew about or did you have like a hard introduction into the reality of this? To me, honestly, like, I mean, it's something I'm still learning, but as soon as you start working with other people or as soon as I started working with other people being creative, I kind of started to learn that, you know, and it's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not to say that. You know, you have to like make everybody happy or anything like that. Cause I definitely don't agree with that. But you just have to kind of read people. And, you know, when you're when you're working on music with people, I think like people get confused in that, well, we need to make the best song possible. Like, no, we need to make the best song 
that the people in this room together could make today, you know? Like, mm -hmm. because if you want to make the best song possible, that's you. You're thinking about yourself, and it's not about yourself. It's about the community of people that are in the room together and where, you know, your energy can take you. Yeah, man, I have made the mistake of sometimes working with somebody and trying to push it in a direction that just is not their wheelhouse, is not their taste, it's my taste. Yeah. And uh, it was never going to work. It was never going to work to do that. Yeah, and people, you know, people have preconceptions, people have biases, people have, you know, feelings. You know, like you could pull up one plugin on your computer and someone can say, I hate that, never use that. And you could try to explain to them that like, well, this is just, but you just put a bad vibe out into the room, you know? What is that going to do except kind of kill a vibe? And like that, it seems like yeah. so stupid and something you should stand up for, but it's like, nah, like, what do you act? What's the actual goal? What are you trying to do? You're trying to create, like, keep the positive energy going, you know? Totally. So when you're under pressure, right? Like you've got artists or your band in the room, there's a label deadline, like there's all these external things that are putting pressure on it to where it's hard to like, it's hard to just write for the trash. Yeah, yeah. Because you know it's not for the trash. How do you get over that and then just like get to work, forget about all that? Honestly, like it's just all about creating an environment where good things could happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And that sounds so like, you know, <laughs> kind of like out there, like hippie kind of, but that's like you have to create a room no, where I, people I feel that, comfortable though. like saying the things they want to say, you know, like, and working through stuff. Or even if it's just you by yourself, you have to create the environment for yourself where good things can come out. And like, how exactly that happens, I don't think anybody really knows, you know, like, like, there is no, like, golden way to get to a great song. And like, you just have to kind of let things happen. And some things will end up in the trash and some things will end up being great songs. And honestly, those two things could switch depending on what the vibe is. The one that ended up in the trash could have ended up being the great song one day. And the one that ended up being a great song could have ended up in the trash. And that's okay, you know? Especially if you write a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, it get back to that. Like, the more output you have, the less each individual idea matters. And, uh, like, the easier it will be to just move on just you mentioned music theory earlier yeah how much do you use it i mean every day it works its way into everything consciously or subconsciously i would say a little bit of both probably mostly subconsciously i mean it's like in in everything you do like music theory it's just it is just guidelines you know you obviously can't take it 100 percent for you know what it is but like i don't know it, it's definitely just become kind of the fabric that i build off of when you know, I write melody or I write chord progressions or I, you know, voice chords, you know, it just, it works its way in whether I want it to or not. Man, I just don't agree that it limits people's creativity. Like, I think that's a myth. I mean, everything limits you if you want it to limit you. Exactly. I don't think it limits creativity. It can limit other things, but it's also sometimes limits are like good. They can inspire even more creativity. Like, if I tell you, like, go write a song, but you can only use two chords, you already have a framework to go write that song. And, like, 
it might be awesome. Maybe you add another chord later, but I bet you could get through and write me a two chord song, you know, in a couple hours. That really actually helps with option paralysis. It's like, okay, this is the framework. How do I make this cool? Yeah. Giving yourself a couple limitations or a couple guidelines, whether, you know, inspired from something else or completely self-imposed, like they can just put you on an easier path to completing something. And sometimes that's all you need to do is just complete something, and then you can look at it with a, a broader lens. What kind of limitations do you impose on yourself? Or like, do you have some examples of like, well, there's the two chord example. Yeah, which I've used before. And then honestly, like the song I wrote with that, I wrote a two chord song. I ended up just using the chorus and I had done the two chord song and recorded a, just a scratch vocal melody on it. And then I said to myself, well, this would be better with three chords. So I put a third chord in there and then it worked, <laughs> you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, the one limited idea ended up inspiring another idea, which then I got rid of the initial, which is kind of what we talked about earlier. That's just finding a way to get to the next idea. Yeah, I, I find the process of writing fascinating because like it's something that's tangible, right? Like tangible in that you're creating something that didn't exist before and yeah. it goes one way. Like it's an act, it's even though it's, music, it's a thing you made. But then, you know, the process of creating it can be so like predictable and unpredictable. I find that really interesting. I mean, I feel like that's just kind of the, it's the essence of music. Like we don't really know why we like and don't like the things that we do. We don't know why chord progressions just make us feel the way that we do. You know, it's like, I feel like it's why I've always been drawn to music is because, you know, you can hit a note and then hit another note and it completely changes the first note that you just heard. It's like, that's the the little bit of magic that always exists in music, you know? It's like when you have a, a riff and then all of a sudden you can change one thing and in your mind it just turns into a whole song, you know? And we don't really know like what that is or if it just exists within us, if it exists, you know, you know within everyone, but... You can't forget that, like, there is that bit of magic. You know, we can get really technical. You can get technical with theory. You can get technical with producing, technical with mixing. And there's time and place for all of that. But, like, at the end of the day, it's just there's that little bit of magic, and that's what makes things, you know, good. That's what makes you feel something when you listen to music. Do you feel like you've been accurate when you're working on something, whether it's a production or a song or anything, that you have been like, yeah, that magic is happening or this song has it. And then that actually translated to where the world agreed. Or wh where is your perception versus other people's perception on magic in what you work on? It depends. And it's like, it's why when I start to feel really good about a song, I like to send it to someone else. Or like, I'll call my girlfriend and be like, come listen to this. And then like, that's a, another point where like reading someone's body language or even just, you know, getting someone else's opinion can be so valuable because like I can be, you know, sitting down here by myself, just, you know, jumping out of my chair at how awesome I think this is. And then I'll send it to someone else and they'll be like, yeah, it's cool. And I'll be like, that's not what I was looking for, you know, or yeah, I kind of like it, you know, and then you're like, well, why? Why do they kind of like it? You know, what, what can I do to kind of translate this feeling that I have and make this idea make them feel that too. Because like that that's the huge thing. Like you want to transfer the way it feels for you to write that and hear it back to the world. You want everyone to feel that feeling. 
Like, that's the exact response we all want when we release a piece of music to the world is like, I'm really stoked on this. This makes me feel this way. Please feel that too. Answering that of like, where does it line up? It's like, well, the goal is when I release something that everyone can feel that magic that I felt or that we felt when we wrote it. And, you know, it's not always the case, but that's the goal. I actually think that that's where the technical stuff really can save your ass. The craft side of taking an idea and presenting it in a form that other people can experience it in. Yeah. The technical is how you get there, I think. So I think lots of times when we create an idea, it's it can be in like, we know what it's supposed to be. Like, it might not be totally fleshed out, but like in our head, like the big picture's there. But someone hearing it in its rough state yeah. doesn't know the big picture. So like, it's not necessarily that the idea is not great, or that it doesn't have that magic, just they can't understand it the way that you understand it. And so that's where the whole technical side of thing comes yeah. and then then comes the rest of the process, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the technical stuff, it's just like, it's like music theory. It's like knowing how to mix. It's knowing how to record. It's those tools that we use to, you know, amplify, you know, those feelings that we have, that magic, you know, understanding like, you know, someone... You know, it's like showing someone a great song with a terrible mix. Like, it's still a great song, but, you know, some people, you know, like, might not get it as much if it's a pretty bad mix, you know? But if you have a yeah, great mix sure. on a great song, like, that's presenting it in its best possible way, and it's probably going to translate to more people. And, you know, like, that's, I mean, that's the whole point of mixing is to bring out, you know, those magical properties that are within the song already. Because I don't think, like, a good mix can't, create any magical properties. I think it can only bring out what's already there, you know, which I mean, yeah, that's kind of an obvious statement, but. It's an obvious statement to some people, but I think yeah. a lot of people think that the magic gets added in the mix. Yeah, which, yeah, you can't, I mean, it's like the old trope of like, you know, you can't polish a turd, like you can't. Like if it's a crappy song, I you have, can put the. <laughs> I will say though that having, We've done like a hundred nail the mixes now or more. Yeah. There have been a few sessions that the mixer, when, you know, when, when I look through those raw tracks or whatever, and then watched the live mix, that mixer performed a miracle. Like, yeah. but that's not, that's not the norm. That's not the norm. Like generally, yeah, yeah. these tracks we get like are fucking awesome unmixed. Yeah. Like, they've got the energy. They've got the magic. I mean, we've had lots of great bands, but, like, if you pull up, like, the Opeth Raws or the Meshuggah Raws, like, it's still Opeth and Meshuggah. Like, it's still fucking great. Most of these bands are fucking great unmixed faders up. And then the mix just makes it even better. Every yeah. once in a while, you get one where it's like, holy shit, this person made something that wasn't in those tracks happen. But that's not not common, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely not common. And like even then, like a lot of times when that happens, the mixer kind of steps into more of a production role. Yes. You know, like they're not just mixing anymore. They're producing some track outs. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. They're doing their best with what what they're given. And that like I think like I've had this happen where like someone will want me to like mix something, which I don't really mix stuff anymore cuz it's just not not for me. But someone would like send me something and they'd be like, well, this doesn't sound like that. I was like, yeah, I didn't add anything. Like, you wanted me to add stuff? And they'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, 
that's not mixing, you know? Not traditionally, no. Yeah. You were like, why didn't you add any production? I was like, because you didn't hire me to produce the song. Granted, like all those lines are definitely now a little blurred in this era of the music industry, but yeah. They are blurred, but like that's why it makes communication that much more important because if someone did want that, you probably should have known that up front. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. If that, even if the, you know, even if it is production and not exactly mixing, lines blurred, whatever, what doesn't help is for the job description not to be clear. Yeah. About they wanted production, not just a mix. Like, yeah, yeah. How are you supposed to guess that? And I know some people will just add it because that's what they do, but yeah, yeah. Not everyone is cool with that. Some people will only add that upon request. For sure. Like, like or I, not at all. Yeah. You know, it's all kind of what people's sound is, you know? So what is your favorite part of the process? My favorite part of the process is like, it's when an idea becomes a song to me. It's like when mm -hmm. I, you know, it's that it's that rush when you finally see the end goal in your, in your mind. And like, you know, all you have to do is put the finishing touches on it. And like, that can happen the first day or it can happen months in with an idea, you know, or years in, honestly. But yeah, it's just, it's to me when you're like, oh, this is like a song song, you know? Like, mm -hmm. it, it, like nothing beats that feeling to me. Like getting an idea down and just singing a rough vocal and being like, holy shit. Like this, this feels really good. And then when someone else walks in the room or you send it to someone and they feel that too, that's like just a stamp and you're like, all right, I can finish this. This is now real. This is now real. Yeah. That's why I make music. By the way, you asked what inspiration even means. I think that's like, that's kind of like a good description. It's like that feeling of like seeing the end. Yeah. Right there. And, and just knowing like, you know what you got to do. Yeah. And that it, and it doesn't even mean like you have it all or you know exactly how it is. It's just the feeling that you do, you know, like, or that it could be. And like that. Yeah, no, nothing beats that. Yeah, I agree. Well, Jonathan, I think this is a good place to end the episode. I want to uh, thank you for taking the time to come on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you know what I mean? Thank you for having me. You know, it is honestly an honor to be on this podcast with so many people that I look up to. So, you know. Well, happy to have you and thank you for doing it. Yeah, no problem, man. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALLEVYURM Audio at URM Academy and of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. And use the subject line, answer me, al. All right, then. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.